Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host. And today we are going to talk about the jaw and how assessment and treatment of the jaw and the function and the strength of the jaw, how that is so key and important for the success of speech and articulation therapy and speech sound development and also feeding and working on treatment of feeding and the success of feeding therapy. So the jaw is key and I think it's very, very important. So recently I was invited to speak at North Carolina Central University and their communication disorders program. Dr. Sandra Jackson actually asked me to speak in her early intervention class. I love early intervention and I was honored and so excited to go up there and talk and I did a long class about development of feeding and oral motor skills. So today we're going to talk about a small segment of the class and it is the jaw and the importance of the jaw in feeding therapy and speech therapy as well. Okay, so the jaw. Why is it so important? Well, all right, let's think of it this way. So when you build a house, you start with a foundation or any building, you start with a foundation. If you don't have a strong foundation for the house or the building, then pretty much nothing's going to go right. And the jaw is the same way. So the jaw provides so much support for the lips, the tongue, the cheeks. And if the jaw is not strong, then really the cheeks can't do their job. The lips can't do their job. The tongue can't do its job. And so a lot of times what we find is that children compensate by using the tongue and the jaw together as a unit, well, when you get in connected speech and paragraphs and they're speaking paragraphs, the tongue is not going to be able to articulate properly and to move in all the various ways it needs to move if it's also trying to support the lips and the cheeks and still also try to move. And if the jaw is not providing that stabilization, then the tongue can't do its job. So that's why a lot of times when you're working with kids, they can sound fine at the isolated sound or the word level, but then you put them into connected speech and buddy, the wheels come off that wagon. Their intelligibility drops and you can't understand a thing they say. So the jaw is huge. Also the same thing for feeding. How can a child lateralize their tongue? Same movements they do for articulation, but let's just think about it in terms of feeding for just a second. How can they lateralize or elevate or create a bolus, create a central tongue groove? How can they do any of those things if they don't have a strong jaw to support the tongue and the movement and when really they can't? So a lot of times you'll see a child protruding their tongue or you'll see difficulty with feeding or sometimes kids will even not eat certain textures or they won't advance in their textures. They'll stay on stage one or stage two to baby food or smooth food or pureed food, or they'll choose to drink a lot of Pediasure. And it's because the jaw is not strong enough to support the tongue and the lips of the child feels safe enough to really be able to control that bolus, to form a bolus in their mouth, to swallow it. And a lot of it comes back to the jaw. So nowadays, I tend to start with the jaw for assessment and I start treatment. And I do a lot of treatment and assessment with the jaw and use that for articulation therapy and for feeding therapy. So there is a podcast that I did on normal feeding development, you know, just moving through typical feeding development and how that works in oral motor development and the development of the face and all that. So go and check that out. This podcast, we're going to talk specifically about the jaw, but if you just want an overall about feeding development and oral motor development, check out that podcast. You can check it out at theworkingtherapist.com, also on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can also check it out by our website, pediatricdt.com, and then link on over to The Working Therapist. And there you go. 
But this one, we're going to talk about the jaw. And I really kind of, in a very nerdy speech therapist way, am really excited about this because I just think this is so cool. You can make a big difference quickly when you pay attention to this in Arctic therapy and in feeding therapy. So first, let's just talk about assessment. How do we assess the jaw? What are we looking at? So the first thing you want to do is you want to look. You know, when a child is sitting there in front of you, how are they sitting? What do they look like? So are they slumped over in their chair? Are they sitting upright? You know, what does their body look like? And then when you're looking at their body, you also want to look at their face. You want to assess what does their trunk support and control look like for supporting the head and stabilizing the shoulders and the neck and then the jaw. So if they're slumped over in their chair, I bet you money that they may have an open mouth position. So look at their mouth position. At rest, they have an open mouth position or a closed mouth position. First, that tells you a lot about the jaw to begin with. And also, if their mouth is open, what do their cheeks look like? Are they big puffy cheeks? Or are they more flaccid and flat cheeks, but with absent muscle tone? It doesn't mean they don't have any muscle tone if their cheeks are more flat without it. I'm not saying they're absence of muscle tone. I'm just saying if they have an open mouth posture, their cheeks tend to look more like less muscle tone there. That's all. And a little bit more flaccid. So just assess what their face looks like. So if they are an open mouth posture and they are sort of slumped and they're not really sitting up, then you want to get them to a straight up posture, you know, up and down tall posture, sitting up in the chair. And then you also want to put your hand on the bottom of their jaw and I usually put my right hand on their back and I put my left hand under the jaw so that my thumb and my middle finger on either side of their jaw and their chins kind of rest right in between right on my index finger. I'm not going to like clamp their jaw shut or anything. I just want to give it a little support and see what happens when I can get them sitting upright with a straight back and their jaw closed. What does their face look like? What does it change? What looks different about them when they look that way? So I want to look before when I don't do anything. And then I want to look after, after I've done something. When I'm supporting them and then when I let go, what happens? Do they go back to that posture? Are they able to maintain the correct posture for a little bit of time? Does it look like a completely new and novel concept with their body and their face? You want to look at all of those things. So that's all important. And then if they're able to maintain it, like I said, that's the first thing you want to observe, watch, and then kind of get them in the right position. And then if you have them in the correct position with their jaw closed, do they have a forward jaw position? And if they do, can you move their jaw back a little bit? You know, is it protruding forward or can you, with a little bit of vibration, wiggle, can you move it back into the correct you know, alignment or do they have a small or retracted jaw? You want to pay attention to all of those things. So first we did that. The second thing you want to do is you just want to look at how they move their face when they talk. How do they sound and connect to speech? What is their intelligibility level? What happens when they have single words? And what happens when they are have connected speech? You can do the Goldman Fristo, so you can do an Arctic test, any Arctic test, but also you can just look clinically. And so I like to just listen to them talk, hear them talk, watch what their face does, what their body does when they talk. I treated this girl not too long ago and bless her little heart, but she would sit up for a little bit. And then within, I'd say five to seven minutes of her session, she would literally be laying on the desk. She could not maintain an upright posture. She was in regular education. She was doing everything that every other kid was doing, but this child could not sit upright. And so I asked her teacher, I said, is she just like really super tired today? And the teacher said, no, she is always laying on her desk desk. And I watched her. I was in the classroom and I was watching her move around. Whenever that child got to a desk or anywhere, she would lay across everything. She could never sit up right on her own. Her mouth was always hanging open and she would slump over. She was a little tiny thing and her body just matched her open mouth jaw posture. So she had this incredibly weak core. And as a result, her overall body was extremely weak and her jaw was open to slack and connected speech. You could not understand a word this child said. 
nothing. Her intelligibility was way lower than even 30%. So I want to look at the jaw. So that's the first thing. Then I want to see the jaw movement. You know, I want to see what's happening with that situation. Then I want to do an assessment where I want to assess, can they move the tongue without the jaw moving? So the first thing I do is have them imitate me and go, ah, can they open their mouth all the way? Like how much movement do they have in their jaw? So are they kind of one of those kids where they have closed open, closed open, like and they can open it for ah, and they close it. So there's a lot of ba, 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 pa, 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 ma, ma, ma. All you got to do is close your lips and then open your mouth. But can they do in between movement? You know, so I want to watch for all that. So sometimes children, the first group in this category that sort of comes to the top of the list are a lot of times children with Down syndrome will have weaker, low muscle tone. And so a lot of times those little kiddos from at the beginning will have a lot of like ma, ma, da, da, pa, pa, big, open, close, mouth, repetitive syllables, where it's a lot of the ah stuff. But a lot of the in between, ooh, you know, e. E, they can do a lot of E's too, but diphthongs, I is really hard. A lot of those in-between movements where you have to have some jaw stability and be able to work on those fine tuning the movements in between, really tough. So they can do the, ooh, they can do the closed, you know, E or open, ah, but a lot of things in between are tougher. So you want to see, are you able to open, close? So I just want to see first, can they open their mouth all the way? Ah, some of the children I've treated with arthrograposis, they're unable to open their jaw at all. One little fellow I saw a long time ago could not open his jaw, but maybe like an eighth of an inch would be an over-exaggeration. But okay, let's just say an eighth of an inch at all. And so for him to eat, he would take the food and like push it in the side of his mouth underneath his teeth and then just squish it up with his tongue and then swallow it whole. So he couldn't move his jaw at all. But that was different. He had a diagnosis of arthrogryposis. And so that was a whole nother can of worms, but he couldn't move his jaw open any, but you need to know closed open. What do you look like? Okay. So then after that, can you lift your tongue? Can you open your mouth? Ah, like with your jaw, just open, not even say anything, but just open your jaw. And then what does it look like? Or is there a lot of quivering in the jaw? Or is it able to stay open without any lot of movement or a lot of like shaking? And if you can do that, great. Okay. So now can you lift your tongue and elevate it to the alveolar ridge without your jaw moving? So can you lift your tongue up behind your teeth, your tongue tip and keep your jaw open? A lot of people can't do that. So you need to know, can you separate your jaw from your tongue? And if you can get in that position, then can you maintain that position without the jaw closing quickly or without a lot of shaking or without the jaw moving? You should be able to maintain that position with the jaw open and the tongue up for, you know, at least a count to 20 you know, 10, 20, depending on the age of the child, but you should be able to do that. I'm talking about like a one Mississippi, two Mississippi to 10 at least. Now, if you can do that, you want to see if you can move the tongue laterally outside of your lips to the other outside of your lips, kind of like a snake back and forth without the jaw moving. Or are you taking your tongue and you're using your bottom lip or your top lip to get it from side to side? Can you move your tongue side to side without running it over your lips and without your jaw moving laterally? Can you keep your jaw still and do that? Again, may be difficult. Is there a lot of jaw movement? Same thing. Are you moving your jaw laterally? You should be able to maintain your jaw and stable. Then I test, can you move your tongue to the top lip in between the side of your lip and the middle of your lip? Each four sides. Top lip to the right, top lip to the left, bottom lip to the right, bottom lip to the left. Can you move that around each place and put your tongue in each place without the jaw moving? Okay, so basically we've done all those movements, no sound. 
just tongue, jaw, movement? Are you able to isolate the tongue from the jaw in all those various ways? Then if you want to introduce sound, you want to see if you can go da, 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 da without the jaw and the tongue moving as a unit. I'll, I usually test la, la, la first before I do da, da, da. But I want to know if you can keep your jaw open and go la, 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 la and just move your tongue. A lot of times kids move the jaw and the tongue together. And so they're doing da, 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 la, 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 la. Try it both ways. If you can open your jaw and do your tongue tip up, your tongue gets more pointed up at the top of the alveolar ridge versus if you're moving it together as a unit, the tongue stays flatter and it makes that production of the sound less specific. So try it with me right now. Try the da, 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 but keep your jaw open. Da, 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 versus if the jaw and the tongue move together. Da, da, da. It sounds got a more of a TH-ish type of quality to it. It's less specific. Same with la. La, la, la versus la, la, la. The second way was where I was moving that tongue and my jaw together. Less specific. So now think about it and connect to speech. If you're moving your tongue and your jaw together, just in that isolated sound, see the quality of the speech was not that great or it literally went down when the tongue and the jaw were not together. Well, in connected speech... See, you can understand a little bit better why their intelligibility goes down, right? Because you can't get that tongue and the very specific isolated movements that it's got to do for all those various speech sounds connected all together repetitive. Same thing for R. You can't elevate your tongue and separate it from the jaw. If you can't do that, you're not going to be able to get a good R sound. You know, there's two ways to produce an R, but you can't do it either way if you can't isolate that tongue from the jaw. So there's two ways to do an R. You could do a retroflex R, and that's when you move your tongue up and curl it back and tight. Or you can do an R by lifting the sides of your tongue up. But if you don't have good jaw stability, you're not going to be that successful with either one. So a lot of times people jump into the production of R without really assessing the jaw first. And if you can't isolate that tongue from the jaw, either way, no matter how you produce an R, it's not going to be the greatest. So you got to get that jaw stability first. Okay, here's the last thing to do. This is a Deborah Beckman strategy or a way of assessing the R. And so I'm using part of her assessment here. So the last thing to do is you want to assess their chewing. You need to assess why they move their jaw and jaw excursions. Can they move them rhythmically? Do they have the same amount of movement for every time they chew? Can they also chew repetitively? You know, 20 of 20 times with the same amount of jaw excursion, the same regular rhythm, same amount of excursion. You should be able to do it 20 times on the right, 20 times on the left. You should also really be able to set a metronome to that thing. Like you and I, if we were to take a chewy tube and put it in our mouth, and I do this frequently because I work with R or work with kids all the time. So you should be able to chew 20 times on the right, 20 times on the left with the same amount of jaw excursion, open and closure, and the same amount of rhythm. You know, one, two, three, four. So you want to test on the right and left. And usually I use just a plain old chewy tube. I like the kind with no type of bump or anything else, just a regular old chewy tube. And I normally, to get kids so that they want to do this, I'll have them do it to me first. So I always bring in two chewy tubes and I give the chewy tube to the child and I say, here, I want them to help me do my chews. And so I'll do hand over hand for them to hold it and help me. And I'll chew one, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, ten. And I'll do the other side so they can do that to me. And then I'll say, okay, let me see your Chewies. So that's why I call them Chewies. Not to be confused with Star Wars, but that's what I call them. Let me see your Chewies. So then I hold the Chewy tube on the side of their mouth in between their molars and have them chew. Now I said, just chew regularly. Now I have modeled it for them. So they kind of already know the deal and they know what I'm wanting to do. So I'll have them chew. Now what you want to see is, can you do 20 of 20 times regular jaw excursions, regular rhythmical movement? A lot of times what you'll see is where they bite and hold. They'll start one, two, three, four, five, and then they'll bite and hold, or you'll start seeing them move their jaw real rapidly. 
You know, you'll really start to see the amount of the excursion change, the rhythm change, bite and hold, all of those things mean you've got some jaw weakness. So you want to test the right and the left separate of one another, and you want to report on both in your assessment. So I'll normally say what's typical and what's normal 20 or 20 times in the assessment, and then I'll write what the child did when I did the chewy tube. So there you go. So if they can't chew 20 or 20 times on the right and left with rhythmical excursions and movement, then you know you got a weak jaw. And if you can't move your tongue separate from your jaw, again, weak jaw. So you know you need to work on it. And it affects speech and feeding for all the ways we talked about before. So what do you do? Normally, I'll give you a chewy tube at the first session. We buy chewy tubes in bulk. And usually I just give the parent a chewy tube. And if after that, if they want more, then I'll have them buy it. But first time I usually just give them a chewy tube. And so I'll say here, put this with your toothbrush because you want to put it in their regular course of their day. So in the morning and an evening, I want them to do this exercise. I'm giving them a very specific home program activity to do. And this is done in the assessment. So I've just assessed the jaw. I've shown the parent what they can and can't do and the areas of concern and how it relates to the feeding or how it relates to the speech, whatever the issue is. And then I tell them specifically what I want them to do and when I want them to do it. So here, and here's the tool to do it. Here's your chewy tube, put it with your toothbrush, do it in the morning and do it at night. If they can do it twice a day, that is like a double gold star. If they get done once a day, I am high-fiving everybody in the food line and feeling very happy. So once or twice a day, specific, what I want them to do, when I want them to do it, where they need to put that. Put it with your toothbrush. Chew five times on the right, five times on the left, depending on how well they did in the assessment. You know, if they were able to chew 10 times before you started to see an irregular chewing pattern, then I'll have them start with 10. If they were only able to go up to five or seven, then I'll usually start with five. I want to make sure that whatever they can do, remember your home exercise program is CAN. And there's another podcast that talks about the home exercise program and CAN. It's got to be clear, achieve and noteworthy. Noteworthy meaning here that the family has to be so clear and understand exactly what you want them to do. And it's got to be achievable, meaning the child has to be able to do it, that the parents can easily do at home, remember it and come and report back next time noteworthy. So if they were able to chew about five times before you started noticing a regular jaw pattern, then have them do it five times. Don't have them do it 10. They can't do it yet. Have them do it five because they just need to practice. You want to have them practice, get that jaw stronger. Five on the right, five on the left, morning and night, you know, when they brush their teeth. Take them all of about 10 seconds, but make sure they put it in the right place. You want to put it under the molars on the right and the left. And then also remember to tell the parents what that's going to impact. And all that's important to build your rapport with the parents and make them understand, hey, you, me, we're in this together to help your person achieve what the goals are going to achieve so that they don't need me anymore because that's the name of the game. So how is this going to impact the goals of the therapy I want to write? How is this going to impact why you are here to see me today? So for a speech intelligibility, it's going to make it clearer so the tongue can move around. So you got to get that jaw stronger. And then for whatever it is their issue is there for. So five times on the right, five times on the left. There you go. Then every therapy session, I will start with that and I will see if I can increase it so I can increase the number of exercises of the home program. Always start with your oral motor, right and left, up and down with the tongue, keeping the jaw stable, and then add to your home program if you need to, depending on how they're doing. You know, you can move some of those tongue exercises with the tongue right and left and up and down, depending upon how well they're able to do with the chewy exercises at home. And you'll know if they're able to report back how it's going in very specifics, you know, they're doing them so you can give them a little bit more if you think it's appropriate. And if it's not, 
don't. Okay. So you want to start there. Then once you get the jaw stronger and you are continuing to work on the articulation or you're continuing to work on the feeding skills or whatever with that. But here's some other ways to work on chewing besides just you and the chewy tube. Now I do love a chewy tube and a chewy tube, not a nook brush for this, but a chewy tube. So I like that. But here's some other things. You can also make a chewy bag. I don't ever buy the chewy bags, the commercial ones, because I think the ones we make are the best. So I'll usually go buy that stuff from the fabric store. And I think I've talked about this on a couple other podcasts before, but here it goes again. So I'll usually go buy, you know, that Krenlin that used to be under big old prom dresses if you're my age, but whatever that stuff is, that Krenlin stuff. And usually the people in the fabric store know what the heck I'm talking about. But I'll go buy a bunch of big yards of that stuff and I'll cut them into squares, smaller squares. You know, buy like what, eight by eight, 10 by 10 squares. I can't sew, so I waste a lot of Krenlin stuff. But anyhow, and I'll take the Haribu gummy bears. I don't use the regular no-name gummy bears. I use the Haribu. They're from Germany. I do that because there's less sugar in them and they hold up better when you chew with them. So I put those chewy bears inside on the middle of the Krenlin 10 by 10 square. And you remember in grammar school when you used to make like a ghost, you put toilet paper in the middle of like a tissue paper and then you made it like a head and you twisted the neck. That's the same thing you're going to do. So put the gummy bears in the middle of the Kremlin, make like a little pocket or head for your ghost, twist the neck, and then you hold the ghost at the twisty part. And then they can chew on the gummy bears on the right and the left. That's a fun way to work on chewing. You know, they get the juice and the taste of the gummy bears, but then you're not worried about them chewing any gummy bears. I also work with Ritz crackers and I work with vanilla wafers and here's why and cheese puffs. Now I know cheese puffs are not very healthy. They're really good. I'm not talking about the skinny cheese puffs. I'm talking the big old thick cheese puffs, you know. And I work with those three things and here's why. And I have those in the clinics all the time. The Ritz crackers are because one, I can cut those in half and I can put a little bit in the mouth and they can bite down on those and they crumble up in their mouth pretty quick. So if I'm really worried about them choking on something, then I can just divide the Ritz cracker in half, put a little tiny corner of one on the side of their mouth underneath their teeth, have them bite down. And when they bite down, pretty much the whole thing turns to crumbs in their mouth because I'm holding most of the half of the Ritz cracker in my hand. And then they just are biting. So they're getting that sensation of crunching through something. It's very easy. And there's really not a choking hazard. They're just going to really have crumbs in their mouth. And then I can increase the amount they chew on based on how well they're able to chew it up without worrying about a choking risk. The vanilla wafer, I move as a step two because it's a little bit hard to bite through. But I can, again, like a Ritz cracker, I can control the amount they get in their mouth, divide it in half. I'm holding most of the vanilla wafer in my hand, put like the little corner underneath their teeth. They can bite down. It's harder to bite on a vanilla wafer. But again, it dissolves pretty quick in their mouth, so I'm not too worried about a choking hazard. And then once they can do those pretty well, then we can work our way up to a cheese puff. For the cheese puff, you're not worried about kids choking. They can usually chew things up enough that they're not going to choke. But the cheese puff is good because you got to really bite through that sucker and you got to be committed to it and stay with it. But it's not so hard to chew through. So you got to like have some stick-to-itiveness with this. So you got to really be able to keep biting and bite all the way through to get through the cheese puff. You know, bananas, they don't give you any feedback. Big Newtons, no chewing feedback. Apples, no, it's a choking hazard. So those are my three things I start with with chewing, you know, and I work accordingly to how well they can do and I ebb and flow and more or less depending on how well they're chewing and how much they can chew up and I start from there. So chewy gummy bears and the ghost and then Ritz crackers, vanilla wafers and cheese puffs are my favorite to start with chewing and work on from there. And those are for kids with chewing issues and feeding issues and you're working on getting them to chew and bite and foods and that kind of thing. Plus it's a good auditory feedback, sensory feedback. So you're incorporating more of the senses than just working on chewing, you know, so they're getting some feedback. They're hearing it and they can see it and they can taste something. 
with all of those things. With the R and with the articulation, if you're working with the chewing just with articulation and the jaw movement with that, then you're doing the chewy tube. And you can also do the gummy bears because that's just a good time. And then you can also take a lifesaver and you can tie a string around it if you're worried about anybody choking them. This is for articulation, not for feeding, for articulation, getting them to move their tongue in their mouth. You want to take a lifesaver and I tie a string to it usually. And then I'll have them put the hole on the tip of their tongue and move it side to side and up and down. And honestly, it's exactly the same thing. It's tongue lateralization, it's tongue elevation. But if you got a lifesaver, it's just more fun because it's got to be fun. And then I keep doing that until I feel like they can move their jaw and their tongue separate as I work on all their sounds. And they actually pick up pretty fast. And with the R too, R sounds and then other sounds I work on all together. And then once they're moving their jaw and they're able to isolate it from their tongue, and then they're also once they're able to chew 20 times on each side, there you go. They can continue on with that pattern without really any issues. So, but I incorporate that into therapy and I definitely incorporate that into the home program. So that's how the jaw impacts speech and feeding and how you assess it and then how you implement it and use it in therapy. And it's pretty easy. It's fun. It's pretty quick to assess. It's pretty quick to treat. And you go from there. And I usually can write goals associated with that as well, pretty fast and pretty easy. And they're very achievable. So there you go. And check out some other podcasts that have to do with oral motor and feeding. And here they are. There's one on apraxia. Check them out on theworkingtherapist.com, also on iTunes and Stitcher, and our website, pediatricdt.com, which will take you over to theworkingtherapist.com. But a praxy of speech, we've got one. All of these jaw exercises talk more specifically about the oral motor stuff and how to work with the jaw. We also have podcasts on normal feeding and development. Check those out. Also, moving from a bottle to a cup. Jaw strength absolutely is imperative when you're doing that. And then we also recently did a podcast on language and writing language goals for kids birth to three. And in that language podcast, we talk about using oral motor skills and speech sound development, but I don't go into the specifics. So this will talk to you some specifics about how to work on the jaw and movement and all that. Even for kids birth to three, you can do the chewy tube with them, not the lifesaver, but all of the other. You can do it with them. But I don't trust three-year-olds and lifesavers or two-year-olds and lifesavers or any of those age group and lifesavers. So no for them, but all the rest is yes. So check out those podcasts as well as many, many, many others. They're all on theworkingtherapist.com. And thank you all for spending some time with me. This was great. I appreciate it. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 